the last few weeks that God came to Joshua after all his service in the wilderness for 40 years, assisting Moses, five years now in the promised land, 31 Canaanite kings slain. You talk about a full life lived. And God says, you're old and advanced in years, but your work's not done. And now it's time to divide up the land that has been appointed to Israel so that the tribes now can go out and claim these lands for themselves. Look, they've gone into the land. They've defeated 31 kings, but there's still remnants of these Canaanites everywhere. They look. So they're getting these various areas given to each one of the tribes, and we'll go over the tribes again tonight. But now they have to go out and actually claim the land and settle into the land. So they're kind of going from, you know, war mode to going in and now we're going to settle in mode we're going to begin to take these houses that have been built these will wells that have been dug these vineyards that have been planted and god said those things are going to be there for you and now it's time to move your tribe in and part of that is going to include going in and pushing out the remnant of these canaanite nations that god was using israel in part even to judge because of the grossness of their sin that was a mile high that had reached reached to heaven, sin that they were no longer ashamed of. So Joseph or, or Joshua, excuse me, goes about the business of that, and we saw even last week uh, Caleb, who had been part of that spy team, and remember Joshua and Caleb were the two that came back forty five years prior, who said, "Let's go take the land. God will give it to us." The 10 other spies said no, and so the people's hearts melted, it says in the word. That generation passed away except Caleb and Joshua. The Lord has said, you're going to go in and inherit the land. And Caleb, we saw last week, was given a specific area of land. And he says, I'm 85 years old, but I got the strength and vitality that I've had since I was a young man. And we even talked about, in whatever God calls us to do, he's going to give us the strength to do what he calls us to do. And we saw him going out and slaying Anak and his sons, the sons of Anak. And we saw Anak was a giant. We saw specifically it talking about that back in Deuteronomy and other places. And we saw that the Anak, uh, you know, it, it means giant and the town meant four giants, this area here. So he went in and he slew them. And it was this idea, look, at there's unfinished business I'm an old fella, but guess what? God has promised this to us, and God has promised this specifically to my family, to my clan, so we're going to go in and take care of business. And God absolutely went before him and blessed him. And we talked about that call to move forward and the call and you know the charges of God put upon us. And so tonight we're going to continue really along that same theme, and we're going to see more of the division of the lands to various tribes and so forth we'll even talk about how some of the tribes were going full steam of head and god was going before them and yet there were seven tribes they were sitting on their hands and they hadn't even yet gone forward to go claim their lands and they get a rebuke hey it's time to get up and get going and sometimes that's a picture of us in our christianity we just sit around on our hands too much and let me tell you jesus is coming soon and we need to be getting up and getting going. Again, first sitting at his feet, abiding in the Lord. We're not talking about being a Martha running around distracted by many things. But seeking the Lord first and then getting out and being doers of the word. Because our time here is very, very short. So in Joshua 16, we see uh, Joshua speaking to Ephraim and Manasseh. And let's just dive into this here and verse start with verse one through four it says the lot that fell to the children of joseph from the jordan by jericho to the waters of jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from jericho through the mountains to bethel then went out from bethel to luz passed along the border to the archites at atatroth and went down westward to the boundary of the japhletites as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended up at the sea. So the children of Joseph 
Manasseh and Ephraim, and we'll really key in on this in a second, took their inheritance. Now, again, as we go through this tonight, we're going to get a lot of description and so forth. I'm not going to read all of those. Some we'll touch on, some that we won't. But I do want to point out to you guys in the back of your notes, and I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I gave you a large map. Was that last week or the week before? That was last week. I'm old and advanced in your shoe, I guess. I can't remember. And so hopefully you guys kept that. It was a colored map, and it has all those boundaries. If you look at the notes tonight, uh, in the back, there's a smaller black and white map. And you'll see that it follows the description of the borders of each of these tribes. And I don't know about you, I'm a map guy, and I love looking at maps and studying maps and so forth. Uh, one thing I love about Israel trips is you get to go out and you get to see what's on those maps. And I'll tell you, man, it helps you incredibly in studying the scripture. So you, you can see all those borders on the maps and just know that ahead of time. And I already kind of touched on that. So again, he's talking about the children of Joseph, who we know were Ephraim and Manasseh. And just real quick, we know that when uh, Jacob the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Uh, you know, it was given the birthright to be the vessel that the Messiah would come through instead of his older brother Esau, because again, God who knows all things knew that Esau would be a man of the flesh and Jacob would be a man of God. He put that call on Jacob and Jacob began to have children. And remember with Israel, lineage and children were huge because they knew that again, through their genealogy, the savior of the world was going to come. Now as things unfolded, we talked about this recently in our Sunday morning service, as things unfolded, they got more specifics about who that savior would come through with specific tribes and then families and so forth. We know eventually it'd be through the tribe of Judah, through the household of Jesse, and then King David, and so forth. And indeed, Jesus came through that genealogy as it was prophesied. And again, we know when Christ came, he fulfilled a multitude of prophecies, really an astronomical number. He didn't just show up and say, hey, I'm the Messiah, come and follow me. Scripture showed that he was Messiah. And remember, he even preached out of the scriptures to show that he had fulfilled prophecy, showing himself that he was Messiah. So Jacob began to have, again, children. We know that he had 12 sons in all, yet there's 13 tribes. We kind of talked about that recently, and we'll touch on that again in a second. But one of his sons was Joseph, and we know that he was Jacob's favorite son. We know that was because she, he was the child of his favorite wife. And, you know, that's a whole, whole message in itself Remember, he loved Rebecca, and then his uncle Laban does a dirty trick on him, and next thing you know, he's married to Leah, his sister, her sister, and not Rebecca. And praise God, he had uh, labored seven years for Rebecca, and then he labored seven more for Rebecca, and then we see him taking on their maids as well. And here's the thing with that this is how gracious God is. That polygamy that took place was never the will of God. It was always outside of the will of God. But these guys in their confused theology thought they needed to help God. They thought we need to keep having kids so that our quivers get fuller and we can help God bring forth the Savior of the world. And let me tell you about that. That polygamy, it never worked out well practically. It never, there was never peace in any of those homes it caused upheaval and trouble and confusion at every single turn in all of these guys' houses from Jacob all the way down to King David. And in this case, again, with Joseph, it caused a great amount of trouble because Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. It was one of his younger sons. He came along, I think he was number, if it wasn't 11, number 10. Um, I'm sure someone knows that and you know can fact check me right now. But Irregardless, we know when he came along that, that uh, you know, it, Jacob gave him great favoritism. And he had the robe of many colors, and his brothers were jealous, and they sold him into slavery, and all the various things. But God used it for great good. 
Because remember, he put him down there in Egypt because God knew a famine was coming and then eventually moved Joseph into this place of being in second command of all of Egypt. And God saved Israel through the hand of Joseph. Really in that, he was a type of Christ. And again, as things were being revealed to them, um, you know, it even almost seems that Jacob's heart and hope was that it would be through the tribe of, again, Joseph that the Savior would come. That wasn't the case. It would be through his son Judah. But we do know that when Joseph was there in Egypt, he had two children. One was Ephraim and the other was Manasseh. And so when Jacob, and you can read about this in the last few chapters of Genesis, he goes and he gives blessings to all of his sons, the tribes of Israel. And to Joseph, he gives a double blessing. He blesses Ephraim and Manasseh. He says, and look at the text is there in Genesis 48. I'm not going to read through all of it. But if you look at the underlying portion, he says at the end of the first underlying part there in verse 16, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Speaking of Ephraim and Manasseh. He doesn't bless that way any of the other of his son's grandsons. Now, it's interesting. Jacob or Israel had put uh, his right hand on the hand of Ephraim and the left, left hand on the hand of Manasseh. Manasseh was the older and Ephraim was the younger. And how many times in the scripture do we see God doing things like that? Where there's supposed to be a birthright to the firstborn and God would give it to the secondborn. And oftentimes it has to do with maybe the heart of those individuals. Or even God just wanting to teach those lessons. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Don't strive to be first. Strive to be a servant of all God blesses that. And then he tells them later on in verse 20. By Israel, uh, by you Israel will be blessed saying my God may... uh, May my God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. So it would be a saying. You know, if you want to be blessed of the Lord, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. And absolutely, these ended up being incredibly prominent tribes, especially as was prophesied, the, 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 the tribe of Ephraim. It was a massive, massive tribe, just so interwoven with Scripture. And so this is where, again, there's 12 tribes... But actually, there's 13 tribes, but actually, there's only 12 tribes because Joseph had a double portion. And yet, we saw there, uh, again, 12 of those tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh, uh, you know, it in 10 other of the brothers all get land given to them. And then the Levites, which you can maybe say are like the 13th tribe, though they're not by birthright, but birthright. They're the, they're the priests, and they would be scattered throughout those 12 tribes to make intercession for the people and to teach them with, you know, to teach them God's word. And we took time to even talk all about this a few weeks ago and saw how, again, God doesn't lose any of his people. He doesn't lose any of his tribes in Christ. He won't lose any of us. And we see there in glory in Ezekiel 40 through 48, it's a picture of the millennial reign of Christ. And you see all 12 tribes represented. You don't see Dan in the book of Revelation when the 144,000 are, are sealed. And you got 12,000 from each tribe. And then all of a sudden in the millennial reign, old Dan's back. Dan comes back. And we talked about Dan and all of Dan. Dan's got some issues and so forth. But they're back and you see Ephraim and Manasseh, you know, combined in the tribe of Joseph. And so it's, it's important that you know that because... And it's important that we go over this more than one time because there, there, there's a lot of names. And have you noticed in the Bible, there's a lot of names, there's a lot of stuff and so forth. And I find that repetition is a great way to remembrance. And these aren't things that just, you know, it's not factoids for Bible trivia so you can, you know, advance around the board or whatever. Look at the more you know these things and understand these things, there's more insight that you get into the scripture. God can minister to you in different areas as we kind of get these things under our belt and we grow on them. There's just so much depth in, you know, these types of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, you know, theologies and historical records and so forth. And again, we saw that um, the Levites themselves, they didn't inherit a swap, uh, you know, of a, a big piece of land, uh, but absolutely, their inheritance was the Lord, the Lord himself. 
And we talked about there in Revelation 1, it says that we are kings and priests in Christ Jesus. Do you know that tonight? And our inheritance, our great inheritance, and we have a great inheritance. We have mansions being made right now in heaven and so forth. But our inheritance absolutely is the Lord himself. And Lord willing, we'll touch on that again in a minute where we see that he is our God and we are his people. And you know what's beautiful as well is that he's our inheritance and we're his inheritance. That even Christ went to the cross to purchase us, as we'll see this Sunday, Lord willing, not with silver and gold, but with his, his, his precious blood. He purchased us. He purchased us out of spiritual slavery. He purchased us out of sin. He purchased us out of death through his shed blood so that we would be his inheritance. And Paul, in praying for those in Ephesus as the Holy Spirit moved on him, it's a prayer for us. And notice Ephesians 1.18. It's a prayer for us that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And listen to this. What are the riches of the glory of his, of his inheritance in the saints? And I read that as a, as a double inheritance. The glory of our inheritance, which is the Lord himself, God Almighty. And then the inheritance of God, which is us. I'll tell you, Christ's esteem will serve you so much better in life than self-esteem. If you, I need self-esteem, I can do it. Let me tell you there's something better than that. Christ esteemed. I'm loved by God. I'm the, I'm, I'm the inheritance of the Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I, I, I'm deserving of hell. But God loves me so much. He sent His Son. He shed His blood for me. He sealed me with His Holy Spirit. He won't leave me nor forsake me. He's patient with me. Oh, Lord, thank you for being patient with me, being long-suffering with me. The work He has begun, He'll be faithful to complete it. And I'm his inheritance. I'm going to spend eternity with God Almighty walking on streets of gold. Boy, isn't that a pick-me-up versus, dude, you know what? Believe in yourself. You know, follow your heart and so forth. You can do anything. Bro, I'm never going to play in the NBA. It ain't going to happen. But you can do anything. Walt Disney says that's a lie. But we can do all things through Christ Jesus, the things he's called us to. And, and we can abound in the Lord and flourish. And Paul even says... I can do all things of the Lord even when I'm abased. I can survive in the Lord Jesus Christ even in trials because God's going before me. He never leaves me, never forsakes me. Now, one other note here. I don't know if we get through three chapters, but one other note here. It says, Manasseh and Ephraim, notice here, took their inheritance. Meaning, the land was allotted to them. Okay, here's the map. That's your land. Then they got up. They walked into it. And they took it by removing, except for a portion, we'll get to here in a second. They removed those that God had called them to remove. Just like Caleb had done in driving out those sons of Anak. He went out and he drove them out and he walked in the promises of God, the inheritances of God. He went and he took it. The children of Joseph did that as well. But seven tribes were not doing this. Again, Joshua 18, 2 and 3. We'll see if we get here tonight or not. But it says, There remained amongst the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go possess the land which the Lord your God, your fathers, has given to you? He's saying it's time to get up and go. It's time to get up and go and walk in what God has given to you. And again, we have a great inheritance of the Lord, the Lord himself. We got bodies that soon are going to be transformed. Amen. We have mansions in heaven. We'll be members of the new Jerusalem. I mean, the blessings go on and on and on. But here, we have an inheritance already right here on earth. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And we have to learn that we got to get up and choose to walk in the call of God that he has upon us. To be doers of the word. Look at the word itself as part of our inheritance. And some do this, and sadly, many do not. But it's imperative that we get up and we walk with our God. That we're about the business of the Lord. Life is short. And you do not want to neglect the call of God on your life. 
the inheritance that God has given to you, the talents he has blessed you with to go and serve and honor him with, you do not want to ignore them in your short-lived life here. And it's a short-lived life we are living here. I love, uh, I think what came to my mind thinking about this was 2 Corinthians 6. And we talked about this inheritance and the, the inheritance of the Lord I'm just going to pick it up in the underlying part there, there in your notes. The context is all of this, but in verse 16, he says, For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them. I'll be their God, and these shall be my people. And again, that's talking about right here of believers. He's our God. We are his people. And he's saying, I want to walk among you. I want to bless you right now. I'm your inheritance. Come and walk with me right now. But notice what verse 17 says. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. It's almost the same picture we're looking here at Joshua. You have this, but you need to get up and drive out that which is unclean. You can't come and cohabit with these things and expect there to be a a, a blessing in your life in the sense of the fruits of the Spirit of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He says, come out from among them and be separate. And then notice eight, verse 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And let me tell you, when we want to walk like the world and, and, and you know what, fellowship with the world, I mean, we're in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the world. And this isn't a call to not be friends sinners and minister to sinners and so forth. Absolutely, we're called to do that. But if we want to go participate in the sins of this world and make that our aim and so forth, again, you, 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 you can't have two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. And he's saying, come love me. Come walk with me. Be determined to be in the world, but 100% not of the world separate yourself from this nonsense that you have been saved with that you could have a close walk with the lord here on earth and walk in your inheritance here on earth and fellowship with god almighty so we're not a bunch of powerless weak lukewarm christians running around basically just putting a bad name out there for christianity but we got to get up and go that means we got to get up and do not to save us we're saved by grace through faith praise god but we're saved unto good works prepared for us before the foundation of the earth. So again, we want to heed this. Now in verse 5 down through 9, it goes into more detail of the borders there of the children of, Ivr- of, of Ephraim. And then notice verse 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day. And have become forced laborers. Now listen, God said, drive them all out completely. And they did not fully follow that command. But it seems that they decided having some slaves seemed like a better plan. And here's the thing, listen. If you can subdue a people to slavery, you can certainly drive them out of your land. But when you get the flesh involved... No doubt the idea of having slaves around was appealing to the flesh. Someone who can do my bidding. Someone who can move big rocks. Someone who I can put out there to plow the field. Someone we can get out there to build this, that, and the other. And at the time, it probably was a blessing to their flesh. But listen, in time, it would end up being a plague to their walk with God. Compromise never produces Long-term blessings. Oftentimes, it's short-term, you know what, joys or happiness and so forth. But in the end, it always destroys. As it says there in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That's the idea. I'm in the world to represent Christ. I befriend sinners but it's not who I'm going to keep company with in the sense that I'm going to fellowship and allow them to influence me. In fact, I'll tell you in relationships with people that don't know the Lord, this is the litmus test. Am I influencing them for Jesus Christ and I'm a light to them? Are they influencing me? One thing the Lord showed me early on in my walk with the Lord, he said, Steve, and this is scriptural, what was pressed on my heart, and I know it's 100% biblical, don't let anyone get in between you and me. 
don't care about how, how they, they receive that. Again, I want to be tactful in it and kind in it. But it doesn't matter if their feelings are hurt. Jesus has to be first. The Lord has to be first. And there was more than one time when I'm like, bro, I, no, I ain't doing this. I'm not down with this. And I'll tell you many a times it's amazing how it kept me from some crazy stuff that went down. Just because I said, look, I'm following the Lord. We can go, you know, do this or that or the other. But I'm not going to go party. I don't want to be part of these things. And again, I'm not saying that I'm the perfect standard in it. I'm not. The Lord Jesus Christ absolutely is. But we got to be in a place where we draw a line. And one thing we got to check is, am I influencing them for the Lord? Are they influencing me for the world? And if they're influencing us, influencing us for the world, if it's chipping away from our walk with the Lord, this verse is applicable. Evil company corrupts good habits. It is like these Ephraimites who did not drive out these Canaanites. Because eventually, again, that would be to their demise. That's why verse 34 says, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do, have the, do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Again, you're, you're cohabiting with and fellowshipping with and walking with people who do not have the knowledge of God. Now, again, we, we want to befriend the world 100%. We want to go out and be kind to people. We want to minister to people. But when it moves from a mission work to them influencing me and us trying to figure out life's problems together and we got to push God to the side because, you know, Bob and, and Joe and whoever else, they're offended by the things of God, you know. That's problematic. It absolutely is. And I'll tell you, the leaven of these Canaanites would spread into Ephraim and all Israel. And we looked at this verse, just verse 17, but I want to read all of it down the road. Hosea 4, 4, 16, it says, For Israel is stubborn like a stubborn calf. Some of you farm people probably know about that. Now the Lord will let them forge, notice here, like a lamb in open country. That's not good. Imagine being a lamb in open country with no shepherd. You, you ain't going to last. Here come the wolves. Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. The wind has wrapped her up in her wings. And they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. Eventually Israel's sins were worse than the Canaanite sins that God used Israel to go in and judge because they allowed the Canaanites to stick around. They kept company with them. Eventually said, we want a king like the Canaanites have. We want a king like the other nations. When God was supposed to be their king. They rejected God as king to get a human king. Boy, if, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if, if, if this nation said... We, we don't need a president anymore. We're all going to bow down and worship God and be led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? Look at with this. Talked about the area just in practical life. And this affected them practically in life. But it also greatly affected their worship. It greatly affected their theology. How many times would they bring Canaanite idols and you know what Balaam and Ashereth and all these various gods right there into the temple of God himself where they would set up altars in there and take down you know what the things that were meant to glorify God with you know what it brought in a Canaanite theology that was just to their destruction and just side note here again we talk about in our own lives but also in Christianum and Christian theology. And I, I, I talk about this. It's pressed on my heart to talk about it. I make no apologies for it. Look, at there is a woke leaven and a woke Jesus today spreading into Christianum, again, like a broken dam. It is all everywhere and up in our face. And let me tell you, once that leaven is received and brought in, it only comes out with sackcloth and ashes and true repentance. I don't want to go deep into this, but it's just coming from almost every angle. Some of y'all probably watched the Super Bowl. And there was a, two commercials in that Super Bowl. One was a minute. The other was half a minute. And it was from a group, or the, the campaign's called He Gets Us. You guys see that? That is a social justice group with the backing of 
several pro-LGBTQ Christian groups. Andy Stanley's part of it. We talked about him and his heresies. Rick Warren's part of it. Talked about him and his heresies. Tim Keller has a little part in it and so forth. And the emphasis is to try to present a human Jesus. We're going to downplay his deity who's basically available not to come and repent to, but to basically help you get through life no matter what your religion is. It's progressive woke Christianity. And people say, wow, they spent $20 million on those commercials. It's a $1 billion campaign. And what comes with it is trying to recruit churches as well as other ministries and ministers in Christianum to come join their He Gets It campaign and even preach their pre-written sermons that preaches against social justice and a whole bunch of nonsense and does not bring forth it as a time to repent and get on your face and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And this stuff is just all over the stinking place. I know some of you guys are probably hearing back in Kentucky, oh, there's a revival going on. That's the, I think it's called As- Asbury College. Look, at that's a woke school. That is a social justice school where there are students that walk around in drag with rainbow stashes on and the whole thing, and no one says a thing about it. It's fully an LGBTQ-friendly school. And again, look at Love the sin or hate the sin, but you're going to call this a seminary and bring that in and not say anything about it? They call themselves queer theologians are celebrating the revival going back there, going on back there. Anyone ever heard Todd Bentley? One of the biggest heretics in the last 20 years. He's celebrating this thing going on. Again, it is a false revival that's taking place. You want to see what real revival looks like? Go read the book of Jonah and look at the city of Nineveh. There's actual repentance of sin. There's sackcloth and there is ashes. Go look at Ephesus when there was revival. You know what the revival looked like? They were burning their witchcraft books. It wasn't just chaos and out of order. Again, uh, out of out of order worship and and you know what? Uh, uh, um, un, unscriptural uh, prescriptions of worship, as we see in God's word. Now, again, I'm not going to say that every individual and all these things, they're they're evil or wicked. That's rarely the case. But the push of these things and the leadership behind these things absolutely is promoting sinful lifestyles and unbiblical truths and so forth. And it just seems that this stuff's coming from every single angle. And that's where we got to stand up and say, are we going to drive these things out? Or are we going to succumb to them because of the pressure? Because let me tell you, I've been around long enough. When these things come, there is a pressure to concede and go along with it. I ain't going to concede to it. I'm going to test it by God's word and absolutely do everything I can to keep it out of my life, keep it out of my heart, and keep it out of this fellowship but so many people again they don't want to test anything i saw people sending me threads today of individuals even our community promoting this stuff and i'm thinking have you done a lick of research at all do you know anything at all about what's really going on here other than oh they're singing a song and yet do you know again what's taught at this school where is the repentance of these things why aren't these things being called out because those are doctrines that damn people's souls to hell we're not talking about, again, minor issues and, again, uh, uh, you know, minor theological points where people can have a different view. We're talking about false gospels and false Christ being preached. And so, again, it would be to their demise that they would not drive out those Canaanites. And no doubt at the time, it seemed like a good deal. Hey, look, at we got the promised land and slaves. Didn't work out good for them. Now notice chapter 17. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. He was the firstborn of Joseph. Namely for Mychar, the son of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore he was given Gilead and Bashan, and there was not a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh according to their families. Excuse me, and there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh according to their families. For the children of Abizir, the children of Helak, 
the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. Now, I want to focus in on Mychar, who's talked about here. Looked, his, looked him up a little bit, and instead of me writing out a whole thing, I'm just going to read to you from a Bible dictionary, the Nelson's Bible dictionary. He's the firstborn son of Manasseh. The Matriites descended from Mychar. They were the only family of the tribe of Manasseh. They defeated the city of Gilead, which Moses gave to the Matriites as an inheritance. We just read that right here. Mychar is, is prophetically referred to the whole tribe of Israel. Because, again, he seems like he was the prominent son of Manasseh. And so you see this oftentimes in Scripture where you have Jacob and then you have the 12 tribes. And then, you know, it will say at some points, you know, like the Matriites. And you're like, well, who are these guys? And you just follow their genealogy back. And this is where all the begots and the begats seem boring in the Scripture. They're there for a purpose so you can trace these things up. And, you know, guys aren't just making up names and so forth. You know, it's not the Book of Mormon. They're just not making stuff up and saying, you know, Jesus went to South America and let's make up a bunch of fake towns and so forth. This stuff can be traced. It can be traced all the way back to Adam and Eve and so forth. And the one thing I really love about uh, uh, Matri is notice Ephesians, or excuse me, Genesis 50, 22. It says, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, And Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of of Machar, the son of Manasseh. Look at this. This is so cool. Have you ever seen this in Scripture? Has it ever caught your eye? We're also brought up on Joseph's knees. Isn't that cool? Manasseh's son's children. So it is Joseph's great-grandchildren, or Joseph of his brother helped raise absolutely those kids i got my genealogy confused here his uncle but he's like a grandparent to them again raised them on his knees and no doubt show it in him to the things of god almighty and that's a charge to us as we get older listen don't separate yourself from the kids so god's word into them because that absolutely had an impact upon this and we see with Mychar again, a man of war. And he went in and claimed what God had given to him. I just thought about John the Baptist. I'm not going to read it tonight, but in Matthew 17, people are asking John or Jesus about John. And he says, what did you go out to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You know, a guy in soft garments and so forth. And he talks about how he's the messenger of God. He's a prophet of God Almighty. And then he says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And that came to mind because it says this man back then was a man of war. Now he was a man of war in the sense of we're going to go out with a military campaign and take what God has allotted to us. It was part of what they had to do. But again, it wasn't in the brutish sense in a, in a, in a manner where he was outside of God's will. But absolutely doing this, knowing it was part of the call of God upon them. And I think about us, again, as we talk about walking in our inheritance, we need to recognize that we're called soldiers for Christ. We're not called to be reeds shaken by the wind. You know, what a reed is, it's a plant that's down in a, in a watery area. And wherever the wind comes in, it just blows one way or it blows the other. Whatever wind of doctrine comes in, it just blows with it and it follows it. Talking about some winds of doctrines a few minutes ago. And the Bible says that we are not to be tossed to and fro and thrown back and forth at whatever the latest wind of doctrine is. That we're supposed to be stout and fundamental in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Word of God. Stout in the Lord and then prophetic in our words in the sense of I'm going to speak God's Word and God's Word is pro it's part of walking in our inheritance now notice verse 3 it says now Zolophed had had uh, now Zolophed the son of Hefer the son of Gilead the son of Mychar the son of Manasseh so it's following down from Joseph's son had no sons but only daughters and these are the names of his daughters Mahalah, Noah, Hoglah, Milchah, and Terzah 
I, I remember reading that years ago, and I thought, that'd be really cool if I ever have a daughter to name her Noah. But I thought, no one's going to get it, though, even though it's scriptural. So we went with Gracie, Stevie, and all instead. It says, and, and there came uh, near before Eleazar, the priest, before Joshua, the son of Nun, and before the ruler, saying, the Lord commanded Moses to give an inheritance amongst our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them inheritance among, uh, among their father's brothers. I'll explain this here in a second. Ten shares fell to Manasseh, besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. Remember, half of the tribe of Manasseh settled east of the Jordan before they went into the promised land. Because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance amongst the sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. Now, if you go back to Numbers 27, you'll see how this unfolds. Again, one of the descendants of Manasseh, he's about four or five generations down. This guy just keeps having daughters. Again, the land was passed through sons. And so these daughters understood the, the importance of maintaining their tribe and their identity. And listen, this had nothing to do with racisms or any of this nonsense that comes out of evolution. Racism's based in evolution. 100%. I believe in evolution. Then you're a racist because they go hand in hand. There's one blood. Again, there's one race. It's called, are you ready for this? The human race. These were tribes. These were ethnicities. Again, God had separated them to be a people, not to exalt themselves above others, to be set aside to bring forth the Savior for the entire world. Every tongue, every dialect, every shade of skin color, you name it, Jesus came to save all who calls upon the name of the Lord. But it was vitally important that they kept their identity and kept themselves separate because God was working through them to bring the Savior of the world. And so you got to understand the spiritual undertonings of this, the, the undertones of it and so forth. And so these daughters of Zephalahad, again, they recognize our dad hasn't ha- doesn't have any sons, so we're going to lose our inheritance. And it's wonderful. These girls got up and they acted. And we read in Numbers, because this happened earlier, now they're claiming this promise that was given earlier. It says in verse 2 in Numbers 27, They stood before Moses and Eleazar the priest and before the leaders of the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not of the company of those who gathered together against the Lord and the company with Korah, but he died in his own sin and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no sons? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Look at it. This isn't talked about a lot, uh, enough. In fact, I rarely hear it talked about. These were women of God. It had been so easy for them to do nothing. It had been so easy for them to sit on their hands. It would be so easy for them just to watch this inheritance, you know what, be given to somebody else. But think about this. Look, there was, they, they estimate 2 million, uh, at this point, 2 million Israelites... And they had the absolutely, uh, you know, an unction, uh, a zeal, boldness to go say, hey, we need an appointment with Moses and make sure the priest is there as well, as well as all of the leaders, because we got something to request. Look at our father died and he was a man of God. He didn't die without rebellion with Korah. The earth didn't open up and swallow him. When it says he died in his own sin, it's not, it's not saying that he was a foul sinner. It, look, at the wages of sin is death. They're saying he, he, he served God and he died. He wasn't part of this rebellion because look at those that died in that rebellion. They, they, they were cut off from, you know, at the house of God. And so he just has kids and, you know, he's just had daughters. And, and anyone here have kids? You, you don't have control over that. You're going to have sons, you're going to have daughters, either all daughters, all sons, maybe half and half, whatever. And so they go with this request, why should his name be removed because he had no son? Again, give us the possession of, of our, our fathers. And I love verse 5, it says, so Moses brought their case before the Lord. And there's a great lesson in that. When you're not sure about something, bring it before the Lord. <laughs> Open up the word of the Lord, bring it before the Lord in prayer. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophedad, I probably said that different than the last time. These names aren't as easy to say out loud. It's easy to read it. It says, Speak what it, I mean, how many Zelophaheads have you met in life? I was speaking to Zelophehead down there the other day, down there at the gas station. What are you drinking there? Oh, you're drinking a Red Bull? Oh, I don't know Zelophehead like those. The daughters of Zelophehead speak what is right. So God said, they're speaking what's right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance. And if you skip down to verse 8, he says, If a man dies and has no son, then you should cause his inheritance to pass to his daughters. And then he talks about if he has no daughters, to his servants and so forth. And again... This was God honoring their faith, recognizing they weren't just asking for this for material gain. Yes, in part, they're like, shouldn't this go to us? It belonged to our fathers, not to someone else. And that's practical. And it is disgusting. The, the laws and the taxes in our land today were, were you know, when, when you get an inheritance, basically the government tries to come in and take it all out. It's satanic and wicked and unbiblical 100%. And I'll just leave that at that. Because we see biblically that's not God's heart and mind. But look at this was more than them just wanting that land. It was them understanding again the promise of the Savior. And they're like hey we're going to stand up for what's right. We're, we're going to go and in their own way. Look at they, they, they were warriors for the Lord. Now in verse 7 down through verse 13, we see the territory of Manasseh divided up more. Notice I have two places underlined, underlined I want to come to. Uh, it says in verse 11, Manasseh had Beth Sheam. And then it talks about here um, that they had Megiddo. And then in verse 12, it says, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. Um, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not utterly drive them out. And just like with Ephraim, that would be to their demise. We can't drive them out, so let's enslave them. Forced labor, we'll use them for advantage. Seemed to, 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 to be to their advantage at the time. It would absolutely be to their demise. Because again, if you can put them to forced labor... You can drive them out. And there was decision made in there. Hey, this is better for our flesh. We know it's not God's word, but this looks good. This feels good to our flesh. Let's follow our hearts on this one. Really bad move. 100% a bad move. It's interesting though, Beth Shean. And this is one of the places where we go on our Israel trip. Um, and again, in a few... I'll be here next Wednesday, and then the two Wednesdays after that, we're going to have teachings from Israel that we're going to play here on those two Wednesday nights. I don't know if Beth Shean will be one of them. But Beth Shean, again, is where the Philistines would hang Saul's body after they killed him on Mount uh, Geboa, which is southwest of this area. Uh, this area, if, if, if you guys can, if you're familiar at all with, with Israel, I'm going to turn over here. Up here you have the valley of Jezreel where Megiddo is, and that's where the Lord's coming back and Armageddon will be. It's a small valley right here. You have, I should put a, just put a thing up there with a pointer. You got Beth Shean here, so think about a valley stopping. And then down here you have the Jordan Valley with the Dead Sea below. Beth Shean is basically a gateway city there. Um, again, Jezreel, Megiddo, Armageddon, it all talks about that valley. And it's a place... This is an area where more wars have been fought in the history of the world. It's a, they're, 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 there's somewhere between, I think there's some disputes. The last I heard, 26 civilizations that have been in this place because of earthquakes that have come in and wiped out civilizations on top of all of the wars that have been taking place. I mean, you go there and... And, and you guys go and you're going to trip out on this place because of the levels of archaeology. I mean, it is insane. It's interesting how men have a tendency instead of saying, well, let's rip out that, you know, and build this. Oh, let's just build it on top of that. I mean, we've got some parking lots around here that are probably about two feet deep, you know, two feet thick because just put another layer of the stuff on the top of it. No need to take it out and so forth. You know, I think this roof has like three layers on it. 
and so forth. But that was a place marked by war. And again, what's so interesting about it is that's where the last great war is going to take place. That's where Jesus is coming back. And this place talked about right here, it's been a battleground, you know what, probably going back to the fall of man. And in that valley, this valley talked about here, mankind's going to gather. They're going to go all the way through Bethshean, all the way down that other valley, all the way up, and they're going to surround Jerusalem. But Jesus is going to come back and put it all in check. And boy, I love the fact that he is our commander, and he is the one leading the charge and all of that. Now notice verse 14. The children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you, and we'll, we'll probably close on this point here, We'll, we'll save chapter 18, Lord willing, for next week. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, this is some comedy here we're going to read. Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we're a great people, and as much as the Lord has blessed us unto now? Look, they, they had three lots. Manasseh had a lot that was east of the Jordan River, a huge area. And we just read Ephraim got a lot, and Manasseh got a lot. They had a lot. A lot of lots were given to them. And here's the thing, though. Again, God had greatly blessed them just as Jacob prophesied they would be blessed. We want to thank God for our blessings, amen. But it's so important that we don't let blessings cause us to lose sight of the blesser. That we strive to abound in all God has for us. But we don't get into a place of selfishness and we don't get into a place where we're thinking we're deserving more because of the blessings we already have. Again, I'm not talking about walking in the fullness of the Lord, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And it's easy to fall in a place where you're not content. In fact, in that passage of scripture, it says we should be content with food and clothing. Also in this, again, God shows no partiality. And they're like, hey, we've been blessed so much, we're going to get more blessings. There was only so much land to go around. Really, in asking this, they were saying, Put less, give less land to our brothers. We want it for ourselves. We also need to know that Joshua was of the tribe of Ephraim, so maybe they were the thought of, hey, bro, look at, we belong to your clan, so you just need to kick down more to us. But notice Joshua's answer to them. They're like, we, we're great. We deserve more. But Joshua answered them. So Joshua answered them in verse 15. If you're a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself. There in the land of the Perizzites and the, here's the word again, giants. I'm not going to talk about giants again tonight in detail. I have the last two or three studies. Since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. So look at if you're a great people, Joseph's calling their boast. Then go cut down some trees and drive out some giants. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the, in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are in Beth Sheehan and his towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel that we just talked about. So basically they said, well, we would go up. But even if we did, we wouldn't have enough land. And we would go to Beth Sheehan. But, those, but, but there's giants that have iron chariots there. And you can't expect us to go deal with that. And I just put in my notes, excuses, excuses, excuses. It's easy to boast and it's easy to make excuses. And notice verse 17. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people. You have great power. You shall uh, not only have one lot, but the mount country shall be yours. Although it's wooded, you shall cut it down. And its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So basically he says, look it, I'm giving you the mountain area. You're a great people, go cut down the trees. I'm giving you the, the valley full of giants and chariots with iron. Since you're a great people, you need all that territory, you should have no problem clear, clearing the forest and driving out those giants. And look at here's the thing in it. Be careful of your boast. You might get called out. Show your greatness in your actions, not in your boast. Just wrote a few notes here. I want to say it. 
the way I wrote it down. I know I've found in life, this is just my opinion, but I have found in life great people never boast of their greatness, and that's part of what makes them great. Folks with inner sin issues, selfish longings to be praised by men, have to run around telling everyone how great they are. I think we sing, didn't we sing a song tonight, How Great Thou Art? (laughs) And I'll tell you as well, beware of individuals that want to tell you how great they are. Want to talk about themselves and boast about themselves. I'm not judge, we don't want to judge hearts, but absolutely. Look at it, we test things by God's word. A few scriptures on this and we'll close on it. 2 Corinthians 10 17. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And they're like, we're a great people. And Josh says, then look at if you're great, I'm going to call your bluff. Go do this, that, and the other. Proverbs 27 2. Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. Luke 16 14. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these sayings, and they derided him. And he said to them, You're those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. What's highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And then notice 2 Corinthians 10 12. For we dare not, dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measure themselves by themselves, and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. And that often comes with that boasting. They're boasting, saying, well, look at all I've done. And you know what? What do you base that on? Generally, it's on I'm better than all these other individuals. It's a foolish thing to do. Let's make our boast in the Lord. And let's also make it a point to be doers of the word and if there's any praise given in that let's lay that praise at the feet of the lord and no i can't do anything outside of the lord jesus christ striving again for the approval of men and wanting to present yourself as great for the praise of men is a foolish pursuit it is a empty cup that never brings any form of satisfaction because generally when you're striving for that and you get a little bit of it, guess what? It doesn't satisfy, and you want to get a little bit more. Very foolish pursuit. And then guess what? Someone might call you out here and there. You know what? I can do this or that. Well, let's see you do it. You know? <laughs> and that's basically what he's saying. Then let's see you do it. You're a great people. Go and do it. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. We give you praise, God. Lord God, these aren't the easiest chapters to go through, Lord. Lord, a lot of this is, you know, a material that, that we didn't necessarily get deep into in Sunday school. <laughs> it's material and truth and history and scripture that oftentimes isn't gone through. But Lord God, we know that it holds incredible importance. It's your word and it's for us, God. And Lord, I, I know we're covering a lot here in these chapters, and there's a lot of history and genealogy and land and so forth. And I, first of all, just hope that no one in these chapters, God, gets overwhelmed. I hope no one here gets discouraged and going, what? what's this? What are we talking about now? Lord, help us to learn, again, Lord, line upon line, and, and you know what, a bit here and a bit there, and, and, and grow in these things, God. And Lord, we're all in the process of, of learning and understanding more. But God, we thank you for the clarity of your scripture. We thank you for the clarity, God, that in Christ Jesus, you're our inheritance and we're your inheritance. And we thank you for the clarity of taking up our cross and following you daily, Lord. And we thank you for the clarity, God, of the call to humility, to put on a cloak of it and to boast in the Lord at every single turn. And so, God, I pray that we could take those things and Lord, the other scriptures and applications that we look tonight, and by your grace and mercy, God, learn to walk in those things. And Lord God, in all of this, Lord, we know that, Lord, that walk with you starts in calling on your name. Again, we know we're sinners, and that separates us from you. But we thank you, Lord, that you worked through Israel, and you preserved Israel according to the prophecies that you would come into this world through that line of David, that God would send his son, that you'd live a sinless life, And you'd go to the cross to die for our sins and you'd resurrect and defeat sin, death, Satan, and hell. 
And Lord, I just hope here tonight that everyone in this room is called on your name. And Lord, if there's any who haven't, I just pray they would know tonight that you stand ready to wash them and forgive them and cleanse them. And not only give them eternal life, but you want to give them a life worth living. A life lived for the Lord. And if that's you, if you haven't called them, I can't encourage you enough tonight to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and let him meet you where you're at. We bless you, we praise you, we glorify you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and we sit together. Amen. God bless you.